Turn with me in your Bibles this morning. Go with me to the Song of Solomon. I know that sounds like a crazy place. The Song of Solomon, and I want to talk to you about how to be part of a move of God. How do I become part of a move of God? That, that seems incredible, but, but years ago when, when I was growing up in church, that's what we were called, a movement. Now we, we label everything more by denominations. It means we've, we've settled somewhere, we've stopped somewhere, we've kind of hunkered down. Denominations allow you to do that. They allow you to, to just kind of settle into this. This is who we are. And we focus more on that then than we do where we're going or what we're supposed to be. We have this mindset of what we're to become. And so, the gateway to anything great that God is ever wanting to do has to be in not in the in the doing, but in the being. Just like this morning, what's the most powerful part of what God wants to do does not happen in me just trying to do something. But it happens in the moments that I decide that I want to be something. Last week, I started some of this and, and talked about the three mountains or the three places that God wants us to be. There is Mount Sinai where we learn laws and rules and we move past that. We get to Calvary and we move past that because salvation, although it is powerful and wonderful, it is not where we're meant to be. There is a Mount Zion where we are called to sit with Christ in heavenly places where we do not fight our fights. Listen to me. I do not focus every day of my life on fighting the devil. I've never told y'all to fight the devil. I end every service by saying one phrase. And what is that phrase? Go give the devil fits. I didn't say go fight with him. I didn't say go have a conversation with him. I didn't tell you to even think about him. Just go give him fits. And you do that not by doing, but by being. You accomplish this by what you become so that my focus every single day of my life, my focus is on what I'm accomplishing, what I am supposed to be doing, what my life is producing. That is where I focus. Now, don't get me wrong. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against powers and principality. So there are fights. Because on my journey, the enemy sometimes will rise up and decide, I don't like what you're doing. And he will come against me. And he will fight me. But I've never lost a battle. And I never will. As long as I'm in Christ, I cannot lose. The only object that he has in the process is that I will stop being who I'm supposed to be so that in stop being that person, then I will lose my ability to become and do what God called me to do. I wish I had time to deal with all of this. Because, because in this, you can, you can go back to Balaam, where the children of Israel, and remember Balaam tries 
He represents the enemy. He tries to speak against Israel three different times. They do sacrifices. The king uh, asks him, and, 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 and Balak is, is supposed to do this. And, and so all of a sudden, he opens his mouth, but nothing but blessings come out. He opens his mouth another time, nothing but blessings come out. And finally, he tells them, he says, listen, I can't stop Israel, but they can stop themselves. If you can introduce a pollutant, if you can introduce where they don't see themselves the way they're supposed to see themselves, and they turn to other gods, or they turn to, they will destroy themselves. This is always the mindset. The mindset has to be to be. And in the Song of Solomon, we see this, and many times when we see this in the Song of Solomon, we we think that, okay, this is about a poem about love. This is a poem about some shepherd who really a king, and he's after this Shudamite woman, this 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 this, this woman that that that. But really, what it is. It's a picture of our relationship with Christ. There's a reason why the Song of Solomon is put in this book. Two different reasons. One is because of love. But in the book of Ephesians, we understand that those two always run together. The Apostle Paul talking about it, he says, Wives, be submissive unto your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And, and, and they're so intermingled that as he's describing, and we use these scriptures in marriage sermons, we use this, and, and, and it's so intermingled that we, we, we get to use them, but yet at the same time, at the end of it, Paul says, now just know that I'm not speaking about marriage, I'm speaking about Jesus. Hold on. So, so you're not talking about marriage in Ephesians, you're talking about, no, 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 I'm talking about marriage, but I'm also talking about Jesus. Because when you understand the passion of marriage, you will understand the true passion you need for Jesus. The two run simultaneously. You can't have one without the other. They cannot run separate. That's part of getting married. When you get married, you have brought a double whammy into your life. That's why it's so much better never to get married. Because then you only got one person to love. Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul said that. He said, I would rather you all just fall in love with Jesus. It's pretty simple then. You don't have to divide or work around your love. But if you must get married, it's okay. But just understand, when you get married, now the passion that you have for your wife or husband, the passion that you have for your your love there, has to also be the same passion that you have for Jesus Christ. You've taken on an example role for the world to see that this is how the love of Christ works. That's why that when you get married, ladies, you have to understand that I have to take on a submissive role. And submission does not mean slavery. It means I have stepped into my position that God has called me to. Why? Because I have to do the same thing with Christ. And if I'm going to talk back to my husband, then that means I've got the same spirit that's going to talk back to God. And you men, I die for my wife. Good. You get two people to die for. You also have to die for Jesus.
And that's the context that he brings this in. And I don't have time to teach all that. I will, I'll work on that another day. But in Ephesians 5, it's the context that they intermingle, they interrun together, and you cannot separate the two. So now go with me to Song of Solomon, and I want to show you how this marriage to Christ works in the marriage to, to us. I know when we say marriage and stuff, we, it's, like, it's like the guy that had been married for 30 years. And on the 30th anniversary, man, they had this cake and had all this stuff. And I mean, he was, his whole marriage, so stoic, made no kind of, you know, never saw him cry, never. And all of a sudden, on the 30th anniversary, he's sitting there looking at that cake. Big old tears started running down his eyes. And his wife looked over at him and said, Hun, I have never in 30 years seen you cry. What? Listen, I know you're not an open person. Would you just, come on, share with me one time what's touching you so much? You're never open. You're never... He, all right, I'll share with you. He looked at her and he said, 30 years ago today, your dad caught us in the barn up in the hayloft and I still to this day can feel that cold steel on my back. And he told me, he said, son, either you marry my daughter or I'll get you put in jail for 30 years. And he said, I was just thinking that if I'd have chose the other route, I would be free today. Marriage is a wonderful thing if you choose to get into marriage for the right reasons. There's a process to marriage. There's a process to love. And it cannot be transferred. It has to be received. Let me explain it to you this way. Go with me to chapter 1, verse 2. I want to show you five markers I've got time. I'm going to show you five markers. Wherever I stop, we'll just pick up next week. Is that okay? I want to show you five markers, and then I want to show you three moments that come out of these markers. Five markers. In, in, in normal relationships, I would tell people when I tell people about dating, there is markers that you do not need to blow past. Of all the things that I see in our society, what the world has taught our young people worse than anything else is to blow past the markers and try to get to the deep stuff. We miss the, the gaze. The moment where we just sit there and look at the other person and they look at you and they say, what are you looking at? Oh, nothing. Or you start to elaborate. Oh, I was just thinking how beautiful you were. I was just thinking how awesome. Oh, don't say that. Don't. There is the moment of the first touch where you may be sitting close to each other and all of a sudden one's hand comes across and one finger touches the hand of another. Or they just brush you across your arm and 
There are markers in relationships that we blow past. So we already kissing, hugging, and everything on the first date. There are markers in the relationship with Jesus that are important. And in the Song of Solomon, the poem, we are given these markers to allow us to move past it and move into it. Notice what it says in verse 2 of chapter 1. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. These people have walked through the markers and now they are at the point to where they are ready to go deeper in love. They are ready to, I have watched you, I have looked at you, I have, I have talked with you, I, have, I am ready. And when it says here in the Hebrew, you have to understand, when it says the kisses of your mouth, when a person in that culture finally kissed face to face like that, it meant we are engaged. We have a, a thing in our family was called The Kiss. It's a booklet of all the names and people. It's called The Kiss. Because my grandfather and my grandmother, on their dating, my grandfather asked her while they went out, could he kiss her? And she looked at him and said, is it necessary? And we call it the kiss because when they finally kissed, it was a momentous moment. They had 13 children. Don't worry, they did a lot of kissing. That's not the problem. But what it was built on was something bigger and deeper. And so what happens is, is that she says, your kiss... When you kiss me, notice how she describes this, for your love is better than wine. Wine is, is mentioned here and brought up here because it's an intoxication. You, your love, your kiss, your, your embrace is intoxicant. It just makes me do things I wouldn't normally do. It just takes me off of my feet. It just makes me, I mean, I just get woozy. It's like drinking wine. It, it, it overpowers me. It bites me. It makes me say, I'll do. It makes me sign notes to things I wouldn't sign. It makes me go places I wouldn't go. It makes me hang out and eat things I wouldn't eat. It's intoxicating. And I don't want to live without it. And it, and it makes me feel good and all the pain goes away and everything's good when, when we're good. When we're together, everything is good. And, and if you say, well, Brother Lot, she's talking about something Old Testament. Well, let me explain some, some scriptures to you and see if this helps you out any. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that they were in one accord. Now understand what it was. They weren't after a thing they weren't after to do something. They were after being something. And they didn't even know what it was they were supposed to be. But they were waiting for a kiss. They were waiting for something. 
They were waiting for something Jesus said would come. And when you have this, you will know you're ready to go. And guess what happened on the day of Pentecost? The Bible says the Spirit fell. But here's the beautiful. When they come downstairs, here's what they... Oh! It's good! God is good! And the people standing around looked at them and said, they're drunk. They've been drinking. They've done got intoxicated. Oh, don't worry. Some of y'all ain't ever got to worry about it. Some of y'all ain't no way in, I mean, ain't no way you'd ever uncross your arms long enough to get intoxicated in love. But understand, if I was to ask your marriage partner, she, and he would say the same thing about you in life. You don't get passionate. You don't go overboard. You don't lose your mind. You don't, you, you, they drop dead if you ever did anything more than what you normally do. <laughs> Just like in marriage, it works in our other passions. And don't get mad at me. The only person change that is you. You got to decide what you're going to fall madly in love with. And the woman says, oh, to be kissed by you on the day of Pentecost. Here they are staggering around. Oh, I done got kissed. I done got something. I don't, I don't feel the pain of it. I mean, a few hours earlier, they were worried that they would be killed for coming down. A few hours earlier, they were worried that somebody would, would, would hang them or, or crucify them or, or stone them to death for, for believing in this Jesus. But all of a sudden, after a good kiss, after a good moment, after a moment with him, they're coming downstairs boldly. They don't feel no pain anymore. They all of a sudden are filled with the Spirit of God, and they are bold. But the world says they act like they're drunk. And Peter stands up and says, these are not drunk as you suppose. Didn't say they wasn't drunk. It's like the boy gets out of the car when he's walking back to his car after he's walked his girlfriend to the front porch. Got that kiss and you're walking back. And, oh, yeah. What boy? Don't tell me I'm not a 10 And that's what Pentecost was. We miss Pentecost. We think it's the day the Holy Spirit oh, came. and It's the day He kissed His bride. And His bride knew on the kiss that we're engaged. That my husband is coming back. That my husband won't be gone long that my husband loves me oh I, I wish I had an hour to teach that to y'all but you get it enough you get it so so Pentecost it's an intoxicating passion if I was to go in the Old Testament I would take you to Hannah Hannah is is a, is a form of this Hannah is a woman that we use all the time at, at baby dedications. But listen to the story of Hannah. Hannah is a woman who is married to a man. They love each other, everything. But in their culture, not having children is a disgrace. It's bad. And I don't know when it happened. I don't know how it happened. I just know one day 
her husband walks in to the house with a new woman. Now, I don't know how you ladies would go with that. Just probably not too good. It'd be a, it'd be a homicide at my house. Look, babe, there's just some things you ain't fulfilling. There's some things you're just not good enough at. There's some things you just don't do well. So I've done, found number two here, and she'll take care of the things you can't take care of. But to always know I love you more. And the Bible says, we'll call her Penny. Her name is Penel, but we'll just call her Penny. Penny comes in and starts fulfilling the things that it seems like you can't do. The Bible says sons and daughters. That means there was more than two boys and there was more than two girls. So here is Hannah now living in a house full of kids, none of them hers, with another woman and her husband. And how would you feel if that's what you went to every Thanksgiving? Every celebration that you went to and he'd pray, oh, thank you for my children and thank you for my, my, all my blessings. And Hannah has to sit there and listen to that every single time. And she feels like I'm disjointed and disconnected. What would you do? Get mad at God? Quit? What would you do? Our modern culture, it's all about being a victim. Everybody's a victim. There's no good. So I showed you that scripture a while ago in Ephesians, and I won't pull it back up, but when you're intoxicated, not with wine, but with strong spiritual drink, then you have the ability to speak to yourself. You have the ability to talk to yourself. When I'm up here praising I wonder if, if you wonder what people are doing. What are they doing up there? Are they just up there singing along with the song? Maybe. But if they ever break past everything else, I'm going to tell you what somebody is doing while they're up here during praise. They're speaking to themselves. How do you know when you have reached the boiling point in your spirit? How do you know when you've come to overflow? How do you know when you, as we say, break through? How do you know? Because you won't need anybody else talking to you anymore. You won't need anybody else praying for you anymore. You won't need anybody. And, and as these ladies, young ladies were praying this morning, that was my prayer, is that they would just break on through. How do you break on through? You move from where, God, I just want you to do something. I'm not after an it. I'm after a him. And all I'm doing is chasing him. I'm going after him. I want to be with him. I want to be in his presence. I want to feel his hug. I want to feel his breath. I want to feel him. And when I feel him, the overflow causes me to rise up and say, don't worry about me. I'll be all right. He will take care of me. Oh. So, so Hannah doesn't, give up. No, Hannah marches herself right straight down to the tabernacle. I know where I got to go. I know the embrace I need. I know the hug I got to have. I know the love that I got to have. I, I can't find it at my house. 
I can't find it through nobody else, but I know where I can find it. And the Bible says she goes and she begins to pray. Now, I, want, I don't have time to go through this, but when she's praying, she's pressing through. And here's what Eli sees. He sees a woman's lips moving, but she ain't saying anything. Read it. I can only preach the Bible. I'm sorry if it don't line up with your belief system. You need to change your belief system. Hannah's talking something. Her lips are moving, but there ain't no words coming out. And Eli looks at her and says, Woman, get out of here. You're drunk. <laughs> oh, no. No, 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 no. She said, oh, no, 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 I'm not. She said, I'm just broken and, and weary and, and wore down and, 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 and I, can't, I can't hardly take it anymore. And I've run to, gee, I've run to God. I've run to here. And, and I don't know what's been going on. I just know that when I got here, when I got to Him and I started pouring it out and all of a sudden I didn't feel as heavy anymore and I didn't feel as weighted anymore and I didn't feel as troubled anymore. And Eli, the Spirit of God hits Eli and he says, whoa, woman, you're going to have a baby before next year. <laughs> oh, but it works opposite too. Let me warn you. David had a wife named Micah. And the Ark of the Covenant was coming into town. And David understood, oh, that's where I want to be. I want to be in His presence. And I want to be... Wait, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else does. He gets to dancing and he gets hot and he gets to dancing. He gets hotter. And, and finally he takes off his outer garments and, and he's just got his regular robes that everybody would wear, not his kingly robe on anymore. And he's dancing in front of everybody and with everybody. And he's having him a time in the prayer. He doesn't got kissed. And he comes home that night and Micah looks at him and says, I hope you're proud of yourself. How dignified you looked. A king sitting there in front of just normal people and dancing and worshiping. <laughs> and David said, woman, you don't understand. You see a king, <laughs> but I still see that old boy sitting there in the field taking care of sheep when nobody thought I would be anything. My own parents didn't invite me to the party of the inauguration of who was going to be king. I didn't get invited because nobody would pick me, but oh, God picked me, and God told me that I had the qualities that he liked. God said, I like the way you are. I like the fact that you like me kissing on you and hugging on you and putting my arms around you, and you love that more than anything. David would later say, it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to live in the tents of the richest. Pastor Lot, you, you pastor all seasons. Man, you got all, you don't need, no, no, you don't understand. You don't know where Tim Lot came from. You're missing it. 
way before there was a pastor lot, way before there was all that other stuff and, and pats on the back and, oh, you do this good and you do... There was Tim Lott pushing buggies in a little grocery store. There was Tim Lott fixing shelves in a grocery store. There was Tim Lott doing that. And God said, I like that Tim Lott because when he's got brakes, he goes up in the motor room where nobody would go and nobody would bother him. And he takes his Bible and there he spends time with me. And there he says, I just want to be kissed one more time. Oh, understand that in the romantic version of God, it all begins with your kiss. It all begins with a kiss. I'm going to bring number two and I'm going to close it. Go with me to verse four. And let me say this. The church cannot be what Christ is. I'm going to help somebody. Don't commit adultery. Look at the first beside you say, don't be an adulteress. Well, that's a pretty serious accusation. The church is Jesus' what? Bride. It's illegal to love another man's wife. I die for the church. That's pitiful. I'm this, I'm that, I'm, I'm, I'm this. That's pitiful. In fact, when you say, I die for the church, you're already off the reservation because Jesus already died for it. He don't need you to die for the church. He may need you to die for Him one day. You may have to die saying, I believe in Jesus, but you ain't ever going to have to die and say, I believe in the assembly of God, the church of God, or church of God, a prophecy, or I believe in the Baptist. No, no, you ain't going to have to die for that. But we get caught up in this. And that's what causes us bitterness. Somebody's taking something away from me. Let me just help you out. You ain't got nothing. Quit acting like somebody taking something from you you ain't got. The only thing you got is the relationship you have with Jesus. That's what you got. Quit loving something else more and be willing to quit Jesus because of it. Got to turn this ship, folks. Got to turn this ship. The gateway of doing is being. Go with me to verse 4. Here's what it says. Solomon. Song of Solomon, verse 4. Draw me away. We will run out. We will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than what? Why? Rightly do they love you. The second place that he takes you is not just intimacy. Intimacy is what creates safety. Intimacy is what creates safety. When I'm dealing with marriages and, and helping people with their marriages, here's, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to create safety which works with intimacy, which creates openness. Any marriage that falls apart, this is why it falls apart. You came together because 
to some degree, you could be open, intimate, and safe. Over time, if those things are robbed, then you lose the connection. Here's what he says, through our intimacy, he has brought me now into his chambers. The holy place. Intimacy with him has to become the ultimate goal that I want. When I am praying, what I want him to do is to bring me into his chambers. I'm not after tongues. I'm not after some calisthenic or anything. You say, Brother Lot, you do that if that's how he moves. But all that I'm after is through the intimacy with Him, I want Him to carry me into His chambers, the holy of holies, the holy place. I want where He can be with me and we can just sit there together. The, the, the phrase there is simply this, tell me where you're going and that's where I want to go. Tell me where you're going and that's where I want to go. Will you stand? I don't have time today to deal with this. I don't have to give an altar call because that's already done. But I want to explain to you what was going on in the altar this morning. I want you to understand what's taking place in the altar. There's things that people love. There's things that people care about. There's things that people don't want to let go of. There's things that people... And then they see Jesus. Oh, man. I sure like to have Him. I sure love for Him to be mine. I sure... He says, then let me hug you. Oh, no, I'd, 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 just, I'd just rather not get too much into this stuff. Then let me embrace you. No, 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 no. I don't, I don't. Let me kiss you. Oh, no. We are not going there. I am not going to be locked down to you. I'm not going to be that caught up. That intoxicated. I don't want what Hannah had. I don't want what Pentecost gave. I don't want what David had. I just want to get by. And then we come to church every Sunday and talk about somebody that we say we love, but we don't want them putting their arm around us. And we wonder why we never have a breakthrough that we won't never just lose it. Never just fall apart in His presence. Just break down and fall apart. Because you have to allow His embrace, His love, His kiss. You have to allow Him to hold you by the hand and say, let me take you in a quiet place over here. Let me take you into our chamber. Is that where you hang out? That's where I hang out. I want to be there. 
Wherever it is you hang out, Lord, that's where I want to be. I just want to be wherever you are. Remember how you were when you first had your boyfriend, your girlfriend, man? You'd be, I remember my days because we had regular phones back in those days. You'd be at the house on that phone. You'd have it to your ear so long it, it hurt. And you'd move it to the other ear. Anybody remember that? And, and, and you look at that person on the other side because you could see them visually and you just say, I, I guess I need to let you go. Go to bed. Yeah. It'd be as quiet. Well, you ain't gone yet. Well, you haven't either. I, I just I just like sitting here knowing you're on the other end. Remember those days? God says in the spiritual. It's the same as the physical. I am not an it. I'm a he. I'm not dead. I'm alive. And through my spirit, I meet you. And I feel you. And I embrace you. If you're in this room today, let me give you some advice before we come back next week and we blow through some more of this. I promise I'll finish it next week if you let me. Or if God lets me. Why don't you just spend some time this week not worried about whether you can talk in tongues. Don't even let that be the thing. Or whether you get some vision and answer to your problem. Don't let that be the thing. Whether the phone rings or something comes in the mail that solves what it is you're all stressed out about, don't even let that be the thing. Just this week, let the only thing be, God, I just want to feel you hug me. And I just want to feel you speak to me. And I just want to feel you kiss. And wherever you are, that's where I want to be. I, I I want to get away as much as I can this week. And, 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 and if I'm sitting in my car, I just want to, if I'm listening to a song, I don't want it to just be a song I'm trying to learn. I, I want it to be someone that's, that's taking me to you. This week, if you say, that's, that's what I want, well, understand that's what God wants too. If you listen to anything this old preacher's telling you, after following him some 40-something years now. I don't care about stuff. I try to quit every week as it is. I don't care anything about it. And people that are around me know that. There's only one thing that matters to me. There's only one thing over all these years that has kept me and, and moved me and allowed me to go forward. It's the freshness of Him, of His kiss, of getting away with Him, of being with Him, everything being about Him. 
and watching Him walk me through all the things of this life. Watching Him bring to fulfillment the plans He had for me. Why my focus was not on the things, but it was on the one that was giving the things. If you get a chance this week, I hope you'll do that. I hope you will stir the passion that's in you one more time. Stir it up one more time. And see what happens. See how little the world seems to you again. And how big God seems to you. Will you pray with me? Father, I hope they go and give the devil fits this week. But not because of what they do. Not because of some great thing. But because as they draw and they get close to you, then you through them will do things that's unstoppable that the enemy cannot slow down. God, embrace them this week. Catch them this week. Hit them at moments. Wake them up early or something and just, just let them, at the moment they wake up, just start crying and can't figure out, but they realize God is here. While they're in their car this week and they just tears start flowing down, they can't figure out why God's sitting next to me. Give them a hunger to be embraced. A hunger to go to your chambers, to be alone with you. God, I praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.